Please enjoy this sport bloke segment from an upcoming or recent episode. So, Shui, as you mentioned, the women's ashes have now wrapped up the Aussies winning again. I'll tell you what, it was a terrible, terrible ashes campaign for both the men and women. I think they were like 0 for 16 or 0 for 17 across all matches. Yeah. Apart from when they were playing each themselves, basically, like yeah. an A-side. <laughs> well, they got drawn. They would have found a way yeah. to, yeah. They, they, they both got a draw in the test. Oh, sorry, yeah, draws, yes. Got a draw yes. in the test, but lost 14 as well. So that's not, right. not great. Yeah, that's right. So in the ODIs that have been played since we recorded last, in match one, Australia made 209, Beth Mooney 73 off 91. Catherine Brunt, the pick of the bowlers, three for 40 for the Poms. England made 178 in reply. Siva made 45. Heather Knight's golden duck. LBW to Darcy Brown, who picked up four for 34. Very key wicket. Very important Absolute peach of a delivery. Yes. Oh, it was great. She was brought onto the attack really late too on a couple of occasions. But, gee, she made the most of it when she did come in. Match two is the one I saw the most of. England made 129. Talia McGrath again, three for four in 3.2 overs. Elise Perry had three for 12 off seven overs and 40 with the bat. Definitely pick of the players in that one. Then finally, match three, England 163. Tammy Beaumont made 50. Annabelle Sutherland picked up four for 31 in nine overs for the Aussies. Australia reached the total in the 33rd over with only two down, landing the pick of the batters with 57 not out. And I know we have the same note here. Basically, they did a tremendous job of sharing the wealth, didn't they? Absolutely. There were different people standing up at different times. Yep. And that was the first thing I noticed was in every single one of those matches, a different person sort of led the way with the bat and then a different person led the way with the ball. That's not to say that nobody else did anything, but every single time the top scorer and the top wicket taker was different. So, yeah, great to see Alyssa Healy finally made some runs in yes, the third. Yes, yes. Well, in, I mean, she had some 20s and then she had a 40-something. She had yeah. a 40 in the, yeah. in the third, which was obviously well and truly overdue having that 42. And, yeah, look, I just want to quickly go back, though, to Darcy Brown. She's 18. Yes. 18. And if you look at the wickets, I mean, obviously taking four is great, but it's the four that she took. So, obviously, we've already talked about just this pearler of an outswinger to trap Heather Knight in front for a duck. She got rid of Tammy Beaumont. She got rid of Nat Siver. And that was a cracking court and bold for, for that one to get rid of Siver. Oh, there was some great fielding across all the matches. Meg Lanning's catch in that second one. Yes. Whew. So, obviously, that was a great start. As you mentioned, the all-round masterclass from Elise Perry in the second. And On that, Stewie, Elise Perry, oh, and that straight six she hit. That mm. straight drive for six in that third one. Delicious. Oh, it's magnificent. But she now leads the Ashes in runs and wickets. Ah. So, talk about being a great all-rounder, overtaking Charlotte Edwards and Catherine Brunt, respectively. And so. when you think about it, she's actually had a fairly quiet series by her standards. So, Well, she didn't even play in the T20s. Yeah. So, yeah. So that says a lot. And then, yeah, we saw, again, another glimpse into the future with Talia McGrath and how amazing that she has been over the last couple of years, really. So it's looking really good going into a major tournament. You could probably say the Australian World Cup runneth over. (laughs) Consistently, seven bowlers who can take wickets. They bat down to nine, sometimes ten. Honestly, this team, okay, they may not necessarily make huge scores all the time. The 209 in the first was very much under par. But, geez, I'll tell you what, just like the Perth Scorchers did in the BBL. They defended. They can defend anything. Yep. yep. So very, very good signs ahead. And, yeah, we can feel confident going into it. Definitely. So, Shui, at the quiz last night, the team that won, funnily enough, also had the best team name. Justin, inverted commas, JobKeeper Langer. <laughs> <laughs> And well, now he's on job seeker. That was ironic. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Maybe it should have been job seeker. That yeah. would have been a bit, yeah. It should yeah. have been. But even so, still pretty good. 
you'd have to almost argue this is a darker day for Cricket Australia than Sandpaper Gate. Oh, wow. That's a huge call. Well, I mean, when you look at what Justin Langer has done off the back of that, the way that he was pushed out, the radio silence, all, and which we'll talk about all this stuff. Well, Usman Khawaja, the one who apparently butted heads with him, is one of the few to come out and speak really glowingly of him. Yeah, yeah. It's only been him and Alex Carey so yeah, far, yeah. which is really surprising. Yeah. So there was a couple of tweets that I kind of wanted to run through that I think sum this whole thing up. And for anyone who somehow missed this, he's tendered his resignation earlier in the week. Basically, Glenn Mitchell on Twitter, at Mitchell Glenn, posted Cricket Australia saying they offered Langer a six-month extension to his current contract and that he would not be extended beyond that. So he could win the Test Series in Pakistan and successfully defend the T20 World Cup and then guarantee to be axed. No wonder he walked away. It's crazy, isn't it? So when you look at it with the recency of it, you think about nearly a whitewash ashes and a T20 World Cup that no one had Australia winning. Like no one, including us. I barely had us getting into the semifinals. I, I didn't have us making the finals. Nah. Not at all. And our form prior to that was terrible. Hmm. But can I tell you his record overall? Because this is interesting. So I can't remember if it was Gideon Haig or Peter Layler on cricket, etc. But I heard, so he was 15 and 7 in tests, 25 and 22 in ODIs, or Australia was under his reign, and 26 and 25 in T20s with an overseas test record of 2 and 3. So, yes, he's been great lately, or the team has been great lately, but his overall record is maybe not as good as you think. Yeah, but it's also worth noting that he basically inherited a shit show and had to build that up. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I think he was hard done by. No doubt about that at all. And then from Matthew Passmore, at Matthew Passmore 8, Justin Langer, 20 years of international cricket, not a bad word said about him. Five years of coaching at state level, holds team to elite standard, not a bad word said about him. Three years coaching at Cricket Australia, holds the team to an elite standard. He's moody and unapproachable. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Yeah, it's It's interesting, isn't it? It's not great. And look, I thought he was very classy in his kind of walking away little message he put out there. He he basically said, I know I'm intense at times. I'm sorry if that rubs people the wrong way. It's not meant to hurt anyone or anything like that. I mean, a bit of intensity Never hurt, I would have thought. But he pushes guys because he understands what it takes to win. He was part of the untouchable side from the late 90s, early 2000s. They won Which is... 16 consecutive tests twice. And that's why they're all coming out to, to back him, Absolutely. basically. I mean, it's been almost unanimous, all the old, old guard, well, recent old guard coming out yeah, in support. Well, you had Adam Gilchrist, Shane Warne. Is the Batman in their opening partnership in Matthew Hayden. Mitchell Johnson came out as well. Maybe a little too strong. Maybe. but (laughs) Very scathing of Pat Cummins. Very scathing. But I think it's justifiable because in all of this, this is, I think, the worst part about it is how quiet the playing group has been. I don't care how much you don't want a bloke in charge of the team you play for. You respect him for what he's achieved with the team. The only people we've seen anything from, as I said before, is Alex Carey and Usman Khawaja. Nothing from Pat Cummins, nothing from Stephen Smith, nothing from David Warner. Oh, radio silence. And again, on the Cricket Etc. podcast, one of the blokes, I can't remember which one, made the really good point of Marnus Labuschagne was a fringe player. JL was an opener. He must have helped his batting. And now he's number one batsman in the world. Like, that's not a complete coincidence. JL must have helped Marnus' development too. And now, yeah, he's magnificent. So, so. Alex Carey was asked by Channel 7 if there was a rift, and he said, I don't think so. Everyone respects the man highly. He's obviously an Australian cricket legend. I'm a little surprised, but it's now about the stability of the team and trying to win games moving forward. 
Kawaja went on to say that only Cummins and Aaron Finch can end speculation over a player revolt. It's like, it's just, it's sickening mm. to have a guy that's done so much for Australian cricket over the last, what, 30 years, just be completely pushed to the side and disrespected like that. And look, obviously we're both from WA. We grow up watching him. We, we've obviously, we love the guy. Not just because he's from WA, but just because he is a great guy and he's a winner. I had the pleasure of meeting him in Sri Lanka at that World Cup. Oh, you did too, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the hell was I? Uh, you guys were in the seats. Just bump into JL. <laughs> yeah, got a photo with him, yeah. Oh, quality. Yeah. And yet through all of that, the squad has been listed for the Tour of Pakistan. And I want them to lose now. <laughs> it feels so weird, but I don't give a fuck. And it's such a shame because Ashton Agar, Mitch Marsh, Josh Inglis, Cam Green... But I'm so pissed off by this whole thing that I just, I do, I almost hope they get rolled. Devil's advocate here. If someone has a approach that the majority of players, including the captain, don't like, even if they've had success, should they be there? Like if they can bring someone in who's a bit more player friendly and they get the results, it's hard to argue with that. Well, it, I mean, we, don't, we won't know until the it, person is named and, and, and the results it. are happening. But that's why I think it's easy to argue because obviously we've seen what JL's done. I, I suspect looking back on this, they may regret this. It might be a careful what you wish for kind yeah. of moment. Well, it will be interesting to see. Look, and I'm just playing devil's advocate because I, I would prefer him to stay in the role as well. And an interesting thing on the, the player revolt kind of thing, apparently Mitchell Johnson was one of the most outspoken in the Mickey Arthur homework gate scandal. So he's, it's a bit of a pot calling the kettle black in that situation a little bit. So, But if, yeah. we, if we look in the middle, who did we have? We had Darren Lehman. He was a little bit more of a player's coach, a little bit more of a lad. And look what happened. Nearly blew the entire fucking thing apart. <laughs> so this is where I kind of look at it and I say, these guys have got to be more professional, okay? Yes, he's going to ride you. Yes, he's going to be emotional. Yes, he's going to push you. But that's because he knows what you guys are capable of. And look what happens. He pushes you towards freaking ultimate victory, a victory that we have never had before in a T20 World Cup. He's made this team look menacing again. It's a side that looks like they can go into the subcontinent and actually do some damage for once. Maybe against some teams. Well, look, maybe not against India. Who knows? But, but yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a shame. I wouldn't be surprised if in 20 years' time a lot of the players reflect and say, you know what, he actually helped my career and I didn't appreciate him. But time will tell on that one. And it seems like JL might not be out of a job for long. If I'm England, I give him a fucking castle and basically whatever he wants to bring that winning. <laughs> well, he did say he wanted to coach for 10 years and it was only a few. So if, if that's his timeline, it depends if he wants to leave Australia. But I, I mean, who knows? He might come back to the Scorchers or something. I mean, there's worse places he can go than England. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, they need reformation, don't they? So, yeah. And he's shown you can rebuild a battered nation. Now is the time to strike if you're England. And honestly, I hope they do. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I'll throw a buttload of money at him. Why yeah. not? Now, just quickly, a little bit on the under-19s World Cup. As I predicted, the Australians did give up a very big total to India of 290 behind a runner ball 110 from Captain Yash Dool and 94 from Sheikh Rashid. And really, the Aussies were never in it. Lachlan Shaw made a 51, Campbell Kellaway and Corey Miller made 30s, but no one really got into fourth gear. And the Aussies were all out for 194. So not exactly the semi-final they were hoping for. The final itself was a bit of a non-event. England made 189. It was actually India's pace attack, surprisingly. I tell you what, look out world. Like I remember that interview on The Great Cricketer with 
Greg Chappell, where he said basically if India got their shit together, they'd have the top, what, three, four teams in the world or something based on population. India could be a very, very scary, even more scary cricketing nation in a few years. Mm. So Raj Bawa and Ravi Kumar were the two that absolutely ripped the palms apart. Bawa had five for 31, Kumar four for 34. India dawdled in reply. They made the total with 14 balls remaining. Rashid and Nishant Sindhu both made 50s. And India are your champions. And England were probably thinking, oh, please, after those Ashes campaigns, just give us this one. And they fell at the final. (laughs) Now, in the third place game, Australia chased down Afghanistan's total of 201 with five balls to spare. Ijaz Ahmad Ahmadzai was superb for the Afghans, 81 off 79. It was a spinning all-rounder, though. Nivathan Radhakrishnan, who starred three for 31 off his 10 and a key 66. Australia kind of limped over the line, the two wickets in hand at the end. Well, Afghanistan is going to be a much better cricketing nation as time goes on too, which is great for the health of the world game. Potentially. Oh? Because then we get into what is actually probably the biggest story. Yes, well, this is a point. So apparently on the way back to the Caribbean, the flight's gone through London Heathrow and then they were going to basically head down through Dubai and then back up to Kabul. Four members of the touring party, including a player, stayed in London and it's unsure whether they're looking to apply for asylum. And here lies the dilemma. Sport has done so much for the people of Afghanistan. They look up to these players, but then you've got the Taliban hanging over your head. I don't know what you do. I don't know if these guys have a plan. What a scary position to be in. You have to be very desperate to do something like this. Mm. Very desperate. Because, of course, they're leaving behind friends and family. Yep. It's it's huge, isn't it? It is. It's it's a sad it's sad that people feel that they have to do that. But and this is where sometimes we just have to remember that sport can sometimes be bigger than sport. Yep. Yep. It can really be a lot about the humanity and all of the stuff that's going on in the world. And we didn't really talk about Peng Shui in China with the Winter Olympics as well. I mean, mm. there's there's oh, that just continues to yeah very dicey un- unravel yeah. in all sorts of different directions. Yep. Thanks for listening to this Sport Bloke segment. Why not listen to the full episode and check out their Twitter at Sport Blokes. 